Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Luke. Howdy and good morning, faithful listener. My name is Jen here. I am the host of the Bible Explained podcast. And if you weren't able to gather from the title of this podcast, what this podcast talks about, we talk about the Bible. (laughs) So let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 20 verses 19 through 40, because on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I go through the New Testament and then Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, I go through the Old Testament. So let's read Luke 20, 19 through 40 today. Feel free to grab your Bible and your cup of coffee or your cup of tea. Let me know what kind of tea you're drinking this morning. Contact me. I'm going to start putting my email, my business email in the bio of every podcast episode so you guys can feel like you have more connection with me. Because usually I just ask you guys to go over to my website and contact me there. But that's a little bit more difficult to navigate through. And I'm going to be honest, on Facebook, it takes me a few days to see your messages. <laughs> I see them eventually, but I, uh, I, I'm i not on Facebook as much as honestly I probably should be considering the fact that I own a business. Yeah. But anyway, I'm going to start putting my email down below. So if you want to contact me, you can absolutely feel free. And that goes straight to my business inbox. So I will personally see that. But once again, let's read at Luke 20, 19 through 40 today. I'll be reading out of the W.E.B., but feel free to grab the version you prefer to read out of and also grab that cup of coffee or that cup of tea. And let's jump in together. The chief priests and the scribes sought to lay hands on him that very hour, but they feared the people, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. They watched him and sent out spies, who pretended to be righteous, that they might trap him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the power and the authority of the governor. They asked him, Teacher, we know that you say and teach what is right, and aren't partial to anybody, but truly teach the way of God. So is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why do you test me? Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it. They answered, Caesar's. He said to them, Then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. They weren't able to trap him in his words before the people. They marveled at his answer and were silent. Some of the Sadducees came to him, those who deny that there is a resurrection. They asked him, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he is childless, his brother should take the wife and raise up children for his brother. There were therefore seven brothers. The first took a wife and died childless. The second took her as wife and he died childless. The third took her and likewise the seven all left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of them will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, The children of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they can't die any more. For they are like the angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all are alive to him. Some of the scribes answered, 
teacher, you speak well. And they didn't dare ask him any more questions. I really find it funny, the people who say that they believe in Jesus, but say stuff like, oh, Jesus is nothing but love. And also he's like against the patriarchy. This passage here, what we just talked about, couldn't be further from that belief because Jesus, yes, he's always loving. I mean, that is for sure. But he's not loving in the definition of what the world thinks love is at this moment. So here's what happens. Jesus is in the temple preaching every single day. This is Jesus's last week alive. So he's really pushing for teaching every single day in the temple. On top of that, this was the week right before Passover. So there'd be so many people in the city, like crazy amounts of immigrants coming in to celebrate the Passover because all the all the people would go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So Jesus is reaching thousands and thousands of people in the temple at this point every single day. So, of course, he's getting his message spread, very widespread, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees here don't really appreciate that. They don't like Jesus. They don't like the fact that Jesus is stealing their thunder. So they get angry. And on top of that, Jesus was publicly speaking out against the Pharisees and the Sadducees at this point. We just talked about on, that on Thursday where Jesus said this uh, parable that was specifically against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So anyway, these chief priests, scribes and Pharisees and uh, Sadducees are trying to trap Jesus with his words. Because Jesus right now is in the public eye. So what a better time. I mean, there is no better time for them to try to trap Jesus in his words so that uh, many people could hear Jesus say something potentially stupid. This is the thought process that these Pharisees and Sadducees are going through. They're like, yeah, we're going to trap Jesus in his words because we're going to make the uh, the crowds realize how terrible Jesus is or whatever. They sent out spies to pretend that they are righteous, to try to trap Jesus in his words. And not only would this make the crowds dislike Jesus, this would also potentially help them make a case against Jesus so that they could throw him into prison or what they hoped they could eventually kill him through his words. So it says here, they watched him and sent out spies who pretend to be righteous that they might trap him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the power and the authority of the governor. And the governor was a mean guy, by the way. The governor was a Roman, and we'll talk more about him in a while, Pontius Pilate. And he was not known for being a nice guy. And he kind of just would kill people, like Jewish people, just because he wanted to. Like, there's a story that Jesus was talking about with his disciples that we already previously discussed a few um, months ago, where the governor just, like, they didn't have guns back then, but like gunned down a bunch of people just going to uh, to the temple to do their sacrifices. And the governor just went in and just killed a bunch of people just for no reason. So, I mean, the governor wasn't a very nice guy. And the Pharisees knew this, hoping to get Jesus in front of the governor so that the governor would potentially kill Jesus. So here's what happens. 
they go up to Jesus, these spies, these Pharisee spies, and they say, teacher, we know that you say and teach what is right and aren't partial to anyone, but truly teach the way of God. I mean, man, what what ridiculous flattery here from some people that actually hate Jesus. And that's the thing, like, watch out for flattery. Just because somebody flatters you, it does not mean they like you. It could mean that they hate you, actually, <laughs> and need something from you or want something from you or want to pretend they don't hate you. So never believe flattery. Uh, it says, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So that's what they asked Jesus. So they go into this little question with some flattery sprinkled in. And then they say, they get to the heart of the matter. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So this was a very hot button topic, extremely hot button because, and it also wasn't dealing with a morality issue. I should, I should mention, I mean, taxes aren't specifically like a morality problem, in my opinion. Um, not something like adultery or uh, any of the other sins regarding morality specifically. So the fact is that this was a very hot button topic that would have made Jesus potentially look very bad, depending on the people who were listening. So a lot of people did not like the fact that they had to pay taxes to the Roman government because most Jews at this time believed that God was sovereign. So paying taxes to any other head of state or Caesar or governor in their mind was going against God because God was the one who was sovereign over Israel. So depending on what Jesus said, this could have made him look bad in the public eye. But then also, if Jesus said to not pay taxes, he would have been an enemy of Rome. And that would have given the Pharisees a lot of uh, evidence, I suppose, to trap Jesus and to get him to potentially be killed as a person who defies Rome. So Jesus perceived their craftiness is what it says in verse 23. And he says to them, why do you test me? I find that so funny. I just love that. Why do you test me? He's just like, what's what's your point here? Why are you coming up to me and saying this? Like, you're not going to win. So why bother? So he says, show me a denarius. Denarius. He says, whose image and inscription are on it? So somebody gives Jesus the coin, I'm going to guess, a denarius. And so Jesus, I'm imagining, holds it up and is like, whose image and inscription are on this coin? And they answer, Caesar's. So he says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. I think this part is really interesting because this is where I'm saying that Jesus is not like down with the patriarchy. Because at this time, Rome definitely would have been the patriarchy. Like, I think a lot of people like to think that, oh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would be the patriarchy. But in a sense, no, they weren't because... Rome was so in control of Israel at this time period that technically Rome would have been the patriarchy. Or in other words, the people controlling everything, the people in charge of money, the people, the CEOs, the governors, it was all Rome. So Jesus is not specifically speaking against Rome. In fact, he, in a way, is saying to just pay your taxes without directly saying it. Because he's saying, look at this coin. It has Caesar's image on it. It has Caesar's inscription on it. 
Caesar passed these out, basically, and created these. And he's like, these belong to Caesar. These are Caesar's. So just give them back to Caesar and give to God the things that are God's. So what belongs to God and what belongs to Caesar? Well, David Guzik, who uh, wrote the Enduring Word commentary, which I love, uh, said something really brilliant. He said, okay, a coin has an image of Caesar on it, right? But we are God's image bearers. So in other words, we're all created in God's image. So we belong to God and things that have Caesar's image on it belong to Caesar. And I thought that was a really cool definition of what Jesus is talking about here because we are God's children and God is going to take care of us and give us what we need. So we don't have to worry about silly things like paying taxes when the government tells us to pay taxes because God's going to take care of us. And even though the Romans were so cruel to the Israelites and made them pay ridiculous amount of taxes at this point in time, Jesus said so often, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, because God is going to take care of you. And he always does. So don't worry about how the government is treating you. Because in the end, worrying isn't going to help you. The only person that can help you is God. So in an indirect way, Jesus is both telling the crowd to pay their taxes, but also telling them to not worry because they belong to God. And so we need to give the things that are God's to God, which is ourself, our hearts. So it says that the people marveled at his answer and were silent and the Pharisees were unable to trap him in his words. So they remained silent. But the Sadducees decided to try instead. And the Sadducees were always at odds with the Pharisees. They basically hated each other because the Sadducees were often more in power than the Pharisees were. I found out from uh, looking this up. So the Sadducees were very influential Israeli men who regularly had high priests that were Sadducees and took control of much of the church, rather the temple and the Sanhedrin at that time. And Sanhedrin were basically lawyers. So the Sadducees were powerful people within the Jewish community. And so they come up to Jesus and it says specifically here that they believe that there is not a resurrection. So they did not believe in life after death. They kind of just believed that once you went to the grave, you were gone, you were dead. It didn't matter after that. But in spite of all this, they were extremely religious people even though they didn't believe in an afterlife. And the real reason they were so religious was because they wanted control. They wanted money. They wanted the power that came with being uh, high priests and such like that. So they come up to Jesus and they ask him this really dumb question. And they're trying to get Jesus to say something stupid that, you know, there is no resurrection. They're giving him like a really dumb scenario. And and people often do this. They try to come up with these really stupid scenarios to Christians that uh, make literally no sense, A, and B, um, try to trap the Christian in some sort of like weird thought cycle. But Jesus literally breaks right out of that. And he's just like, your question is dumb. <laughs> He doesn't specifically say that, but I can just imagine the look on Jesus's face right here. 
he's probably just like, what in the world? So the Sadducees come up to him who deny there is a resurrection. And they ask him, teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and is childless, the brother should take the wife and raise up children for his brother. So now there was therefore seven brothers. The first took a wife, died childless. Second took her as wife. He died childless. The third took her and likewise all seven left her no children and died. Then afterward, the woman also died. And therefore in the resurrection, whose wife of them will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. So they're trying to trip up Jesus with this stupid thought process about this woman with the seven husbands. Not realizing that there is no marriage in the afterlife, right? Also believing that there is no afterlife and kind of just saying that everything on earth is moot, like nihilists almost is kind of what this sounds like to me. I, I don't know exactly what they're trying to do here. I know we covered this before and I probably could have given you a better answer in one of the ones I covered before. But uh, for today's episode, I'm just going to continue to move forward with what Jesus's response is, because I'm already running out of time for this episode and I don't want to keep you all day. OK, so Jesus says to them, the children of this age marry and are given in marriage. So in other words, here on earth, people marry and they're given in marriage. And he says, but those who gain resurrection, in other words, those who go to the afterlife, those who believe in Jesus neither marry nor are given in marriage. And here's why. Jesus spe says specifically why people aren't married in the afterlife. They can't die anymore. So if people can't die in the afterlife and that they are just perpetually alive forever, why would they need to get married? Because they don't need to procreate. They don't need to have children. And we know that angels don't have children besides the fallen angels who came down to earth uh, many, many, many years ago before the flood. I'm not going to go into that again. <laughs> but in verse 36, they can't die anymore for they are like the angels and are children of God being children of the resurrection. So in other words, angels who do not procreate, people are going to become like the angels. They're not going to die anymore. And they're not going to procreate anymore because that's been over and done with. That's not necessary anymore. And Jesus says here in verse 37 regarding the Sadducees disbelief in life after death. He says, but that the dead are raised. Even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but the living for all are alive to him. This part is fascinating to me. And I never picked up on this before. That all people are alive to God. In a sense. All people who chose to believe in Jesus. And gained salvation. And the resurrection. Or rather afterlife. All of God's children are alive to him. Because either we are alive here on earth. Or we are alive in the afterlife. And that gives me a, a bit of comfort. As somebody who has lost people that are close to me that um, I know that they were saved. It's just a very interesting thought that, and I guess <laughs> I knew this, but I never really thought of it. They are alive right now. Like the people who I used to know, like my grandma and one of my friends growing up who died. And I know that they were, were Christians. They are alive right now. They're just alive in a different area that I'm not a part of. 
And I just, I find that so fascinating. And Jesus specifically says that the resurrection is real through the first five books of the Bible. Exodus 3 verse 6 is what Jesus says. Because guess what? The Sadducees did not believe in any other books of the Bible besides the first five. That's another thing about the Sadducees. So Jesus gives them an answer regarding the afterlife from the first five books of the Bible. So Jesus always had a great answer for everybody. And he always like bent down to where the people were at that time. So in other words, Sadducees only believed in the first five books. So Jesus gave them an answer out of the first five books. He basically quotes something from Exodus 3 verse 6, which is the second book of the Bible. And we already covered this on the podcast. But God says to Moses at the burning bush, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. So why would God say he is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob if Abraham, Isaac and Jacob at that point in time were already dead because they were technically they were already dead. But God says he is the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jesus is proving the afterlife exists in the first five books of the Bible for the Sanhedrin. And he's saying like, look, God claims that he is the God of these patriarchs. So of course, they're still alive. They're alive. And then Jesus ends this by saying, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living for all are alive to him. Because those who are spiritually dead in other words, the people that are sent to hell, they are spiritually dead and God is not their God because those people chose to make sure that God would not be their God. Now, does God reign supreme over those people? Absolutely. God is always going to be God. But the people who chose to remain in spiritual darkness, who chose to make sure not to make Yahweh God their God, they are spiritually dead. They are not alive. So God is the God of those who are alive and all are alive to him. I just love that. I think that's just so comforting to anybody who has um, lost somebody close to them. It's just such a comforting thought that those who are lost, if they believed in Jesus, they are absolutely alive right now. And Jesus makes that very clear that your friends and family members who were gone and you believed were gone, they're definitely not gone. They're alive and they're living a joyous life right now in the afterlife. So I think that's really great. And speaking of being alive, I'm going to do a quick commercial uh, sponsored by me. <laughs> so my live coloring devotionals, which are available on Amazon, go through the seven days leading up to Jesus on the cross. And of course, there are coloring pictures. You can do it with your children or you can get the adult version for yourself. You can get those on Amazon and I'm going to link that in the bio of this podcast episode. But moving forward back into scripture. So in verse 39, some of the scribes answered, teacher, you speak well. And they didn't dare ask him any more questions. So some of the scribes were marveling over Jesus's response to these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. And I don't know if any of these Sadducees or Pharisees thought about what Jesus said and started believing in him. It's possible, but we aren't given that, uh, that answer. But this just proves so many things. This proves that there is an afterlife 
It proves that there are angels because Jesus talks about angels right here in verse 36. But this also proves that Jesus was not this like political uh, person who was like down with the government or anything like that. Rather, he was just focused on the things of God. And because we imitate Jesus, we should also be focused on what pleases God. Alrighty, guys. Well, this podcast went kind of late. It's a little long. So um, I am going to just let you guys go and just uh, finish off by saying happy listening and God bless. Bless.